Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're the Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 9. The Unknown. The Bedroom Window. From the moment she dropped the invitations into the mailbox on Beacon Avenue, Gina began acting as though her frightening experience in the little staircase had never happened. Aaron wasn't fooled. He tried not to make it obvious how closely he was watching her. She had no idea how often his eyes looked up over the edge of his organic chemistry textbook. Her historical state when he found her trapped in that closet had unnerved him. He had never seen her so frightened. She was still a mystery to him in so many ways. He slipped into bed beside her that night and watched her sleep. So beautiful. So unknown. What could have happened to her? What had frightened her? He waited until the following day, after Gina was thoroughly rested, when she had regained her cheerful and energy and looked ready to face her fears. Feel like going back upstairs? Gina visibly tensed. Why would I want to do that? For another look in the closet. I suppose that's a good idea, she said. It would be pretty silly to be scared of going into your own closet, wouldn't it? I assume you're coming with me? I'll be right beside you. Together, they went upstairs and returned to the room at the end of the East Hall. Aaron walked right beside her, letting her clutch his hand. Sunlight spilled through the window into the open closet. It looked big and empty and thoroughly harmless in the light of day. Aaron walked ahead of her down the length of the closet. When he pushed open the little door, he saw her take an unintentional step backward. No thanks, she said. That staircase is a little tight for my taste. Maybe tomorrow. You go if you want to. He disappeared up the stairs. He came down laughing. I know what you heard, he said. It wasn't the ghost of Nana, because I just heard it too. We've got borders. 
There are some pigeons nesting under the eaves. Pigeons, said Gina. You could hear them cooing through the wall. It wasn't pigeons, he grinned at her. They're pretty noisy birds. Was she really sure? A simple spell of dizziness and a bang on the head could so easily have combined to begin a supernatural experience. He kissed her. Italians are so dramatic, he said. This house is a little spooky sometimes. That's all. It's just old. We'll soon be used to every creak and groan. She smiled. She seemed to be listening to him. Then she said, I wonder if they'll get their invitations today. Probably tomorrow, said Aaron. Good, she said. They'll come, Aaron. Even my dad. You watch. I know they'll come. That's what I'm afraid of, he muttered. She didn't hear him. She seemed quite confident about it all. Back in the real world again. He could see that she was embarrassed by her terrifying ravings. It became understood between them, without either speaking a word, that her ghostly experience in the closet staircase wouldn't be mentioned again. See something interesting? He wrapped his arms around her from behind. She didn't see to hear him enter, yet she wasn't startled. She almost seemed to be waking up. Aaron was fresh from outside, still wearing his winter jacket, cheeks flushed, backpack full of textbooks. He had bussed home early from campus. He found Gina in their bedroom, her back to the door, standing motionless in the front of the glass. A bottle of Windex and a soggy paper towel lay on the windowsill beside her, but she was no longer cleaning the glass. She was simply staring at the window, as though something in the garden below were the most interesting thing on earth. His voice seemed to snap her out of it. Oh, hi there. You caught me daydreaming. She turned around in his arms and smiled up at him. Is that what you call it? He said, confess. What you were really doing was thinking about what you're going to plant down there in that cute little vegetable garden. She kissed him lightly on the nose. You know me too well. That night, Aaron rolled over in bed and discovered a stretch of cold sheet where he had expected to find Gina. He was surprised enough by his discovery to wake up. The bedroom was too dark to see much of anything but he could make out a figure standing before the window, bathed in the moonlight. Gina? She didn't hear him. He slipped out of bed and stepped toward her, barefoot over the cold wood floor. Gina, are you okay? She didn't seem to realize he was there. She was staring out the window again, the same way he found her that afternoon, her features silver with moonlight. Her eyes intently searching for something, peering into a dream world. He came up beside her, put his arm around her shoulders. What is it? Is anything wrong? Aaron? She looked confused. She blinked at the window where she found herself, at the bed where she should have been. I couldn't sleep, that's all. Calm on back to bed. It's so cold. She shivered. 
I'll warm you up, he said. Get back under the electric blanket where you belong. The man who vanished. She remembered kissing Aaron goodbye at some vague, pleasant moment during the early morning hours, just before he left for classes. Shortly after lunch, Gina thought she heard someone in the backyard, but then the garbage truck rambled through the alley, which explained that. She had not been aware of anyone lurking about the house an hour before, when she went down to check the mailbox. She had found two bills waiting for her. If anyone had been loitering about the house, she might not have noticed. She might not have known that he was there at all, if she hadn't decided to empty the garbage. Out the kitchen door she went, through the tight confines of the sun porch, and down the back stairs, following the path around the red brick corner of the house. She stopped abruptly in her tracks. A man was slumped over outside the basement door curled up like a homeless person, trying to get warm, occasionally making wet, snuffling sounds. A faded black stocking cap swallowed up most of his head. It was covered with fuzzballs. The knees of his dirty black Levi's were folded up in his stubble chin. The worn-out elbows of his old green parka poked out from the arms wrapped around his legs. He rocked back and forth just slightly. His head nestled between his arms, made sad, wheezing sounds that caused his shoulders to tremble. He raised his head. His eyes were wet and red and puffy. At first, she didn't recognize him. It had been so many years since she had seen him last. Uncle Tony? Hi, Gina. He sniffled noisily. Throughout Gina's childhood, family dinners for the holidays had revolved every year from house to house, sometimes with her mother and stepfather in Tacoma, sometimes with her father and Barbara, sometimes at grandma and grandpa's. But for some reason, family dinners never happened at Uncle Tony's apartment. Of course, Uncle Tony didn't have a wife to do the cooking, but everyone said he was a great chef, so why not? Gina took a step toward him cautious not to crowd him. Are you okay? I'm okay, he said. He sniffed. He smiled weakly. That smile. How she had loved her uncle. How much she missed him. So why did no one ever go inside Uncle Tony's apartment? He lived at the top of three flights of stairs and was always waiting on the porch to spot the car picking him up. Gina, Rachel, and Wally had been intensely curious about the house no one had entered. As kids, they used to hotly compete to see who could get up the stairs first to help Uncle Tony carry down his Christmas presents. Whoever did might get a glimpse inside. Once, Gina succeeded. Someone else was there too. He didn't approach or talk to her. He was much younger and nice looking and not wearing a shirt. A few years ago, Gina had put all those ingredients together into a new understanding of her uncle. Are you okay? Are you cold? No, I'm fine. He wiped his nose on his sleeve. I'm just sad. When had she last seen him? The first absences seemed so natural. She didn't realize that the excuses were never going to end. Uncle Tony had missed so many holiday dinners that no one expected him anymore. 
at the last Christmas dinner before leaving for Notre Dame in front of everyone at the table. Gina had surprised and embarrassed her father by announcing how much she missed her uncle. Her dad's response had been so startling and unexpected, she never forgot. You miss your uncle Tony? You don't remember him enough to miss him because there's nothing to miss. He can't hold a job longer than a year. He's got no wife, no kids, no car, no career, no television, no bank card, not even a business suit. You can define my dear brother by what he doesn't have. I doubt if you'll be seeing too much of your Uncle Tony anymore. Now, here he was. She was hesitant to approach any closer. He looked scruffy and ill-kept, his cheeks unshaved. The heels of his weather-beaten shoes were gouging holes in her garden bed, but the eyes, they were her Uncle Tony's eyes, eyes she had trusted for so long as she could remember. Impulsively, she dropped down beside him and embraced him. It's so good to see you again, Uncle Tony. You too, Gina. He was two years older than her father, but had always acted younger. He had a hearty laugh that was slightly too loud, and friendly eyes that seemed to be aware of a private joke. Those eyes were messy now with emotion. I got your invitation, he said, sniffing. I had to come and see the old house myself. Well, I'm happy you did, said Gina. Why are you crying, Uncle Tony? Oh, don't mind me, he said. I'm the emotional one in the family, remember? It's just being here, seeing this place again. Nana was such an incredible woman. She played a pretty big role in my life, honey. She had a heart as big and as crazy as this whole house. Well, the house is just as big and crazy as ever, said Gina. Except that now it's mine. Wanna see? Could I? His smile brightened. He clambered up off the ground, brushing the dirt off his knees and shoulders and sleeves. Gina was delighted. Let me give you the grand tour. Guilty. Uncle Tony surprised her by giving her a tour just as grand. A tour of the past. With each room that she showed him, he supplied remembered stories and details to give her a glimpse into another room that was no longer there. This is Aaron's study. So I see. This used to be Grandpa's bedroom when he was a kid. Then your dad and I used to sleep here whenever the two of us spent the night at Nana's. She continued to the next door. This is our bedroom. It was Nana's bedroom too. Oh my God, that picture. A huge framed wedding portrait of a handsome young Italian couple, Ursula and Nikolai Rossi, hung over the four poster bed that incredible picture. Where'd you get it? From Grandpa? It's so good to see it again. He choked on his words. Don't mind me. Really. Stuff about Nana always makes me emotional. Her love was so strong, Gina. She loved me more than any human being alive ever has. I only wish I could have known her better, said Gina. She waited for him to swipe at his wet eyes with the back of his knuckles. She took her uncle's hand and led him down the hall and around the corner. Uncle Tony stopped abruptly. 
Wait. I remember now, he said. This door leads to the stairs that go up to the second floor. You know this house better than I do. Oh, I remember those stairs. We used to play up on the second floor with our cousins. Scary games in the dark. I didn't like it upstairs. I used to get too scared. There are two halls, right? The east hall and the west hall. Three rooms on this side. Three rooms on that side. Same number I came up with the last time I counted, said Gina. Want to take a peek? She opened the door a little wider, and her uncle poked his head cautiously over his shoulder. Go on. No one's going to bite you. He laughed and backed nervously away. No thanks. I used to get too scared up there as a kid. Bad memories. Some other time. Not until Uncle Tony had a chance to wash his face and freshen up in the bathroom. Not until they were both laughing and comfortable in the breakfast nook, poking at the crumbs of the remaining peach cobbler and sipping up steamed mugs of coffee, did Gina finally ask her uncle the question she hadn't dared to ask. Why did you disappear, Uncle Tony? He paused, his mug midway to his lips. You mean you don't know? My brother hasn't told you. Dad said you two had a disagreement. That's all he'd ever say. You know, Dad, they never told you about me, huh? Not even your mother or Barbara. Mom didn't talk about the Rossi family, said Gina. And you know Barbara. She's a dad supporter. 100%. What didn't they tell me, Uncle Tony? There had always been a mysterious strain and hesitation whenever her adult relatives talked about her uncle. Their voices became softer and softer the closer any young person got to the conversation so that Gina could never really hear exactly what they were saying. They didn't tell you, said her uncle that I was accused of something awful. Something awful? No, Uncle Tony. I was accused. He lowered his lip, trembling in a weird, sad way. The family who brought the charge against me said that I sexually molested their 17-year-old son. You what? said Gina. It came out of nowhere. How could her parents have managed to keep something as big as that out of her hearing? She looked into her uncle's eyes. He was scrutinizing her reaction, watching her every move in terrified fascination, ready to spot the first sign of doubt or distrust. Gina could see what was needed and immediately hugged him. She clutched him and didn't let go until he stopped being stiff until he relaxed and put his arms around her. Oh, Uncle Tony, what a horrible lie. Why would anyone say that? A very disturbed and lonely kid said that, said Tony. He was confused and afraid of himself and tremendously angry. Everyone in my family who should have known better, who should have believed me, believed him. Not everyone, she objected. They all secretly thought I was guilty. They would never admit it, but they did. They all wondered if I maybe did molest teenage boys. Nobody thought that, denied Gina. 
everyone thought that. Didn't you notice that I suddenly was never left alone with you kids? Well, believe me, I noticed. After a couple of weeks, the kid confessed. He told the truth, admitted he was lying. But no one ever forgot what he said. It's still there. I can't forget that my own family didn't trust me. I've always trusted you, Uncle Tony, began Gina. But that was all the further she got. Dong. That sound again. From somewhere upstairs. The rubbery thud she heard in the closet staircase. Uncle Tony didn't seem to hear it. Thong. What's wrong? asked Uncle Tony. Didn't you hear something? A shattering crash directly above them. Silence. Uncle Tony rose slowly to his feet. I heard that. His face drained of color, his eyes widening. Is someone else here besides us? Of course not, said Gina. Well, then who? She laughed nervously. No need for alarm. I've been moving things around upstairs. Obviously, something wasn't as balanced as I thought. He tried to laugh, too. Obviously. He shrugged, edgy, unconvinced. Well, it sure has been great seeing you. I suppose I should probably be in my way. How did you get here, Uncle Tony? On the bus. And that's exactly how I'm going home. Let me give you a lift. Nonsense. Goodbye. I'm off. Wait, not so fast. You're coming to Christmas Eve dinner, I hope. Oh, now, Gina. I was afraid you'd bring that up. I'm sorry, but I can't actually... You've got to. Gina, I would, but... I'm begging you, Uncle Tony. You would never ask that kind of sacrifice of me, would you? Surely you don't expect me to face my brother. If I can face my father, said Gina, why can't you face your brother? They're both the same guy. Please, Uncle Tony. So you're having trouble facing him too. He looked at her with sympathy. You and your father aren't seeing eye to eye. You could say that, said Gina. You know what he's like. But we can't just give up on him. Uncle Tony, you've got to help me. He sighed. All right, all right. If you insist. I absolutely insist. Okay, I surrender. I accept your invitation. He rose to his feet with a groan. If you're determined to celebrate Christmas Eve at Nana's house. He shuddered. I'll be there. Rubber ball. Her uncle slipped out the back door, as though he were slipping out of her life. She watched him through the small window over the kitchen sink, as his small, stocking-capped head bounced down the back stairs. She caught a glimpse of him as he cut across the lawn toward Beacon Avenue and the bus stop, his hands shoved down into his pockets, his shoulders hunched against the cold. She wondered if she would ever see him again. She watched until he was out of sight. Then she listened. A tense silence. What in the world could 
have fallen upstairs. She racked her memory, trying to think of what she had piled on what. Nothing particularly risky or unstable. It had all seemed secure at the time. Clearly, something had not been. She hesitated. She didn't particularly feel like going upstairs to find out. I don't believe it, she said to herself. What am I afraid of? I refuse to be afraid of my own house. She forced herself to cross the kitchen, walk down the hallway, and open the door to the upstairs staircase. She listened. Nothing. There was no avoiding going up there and finding out the bad news. She couldn't just ignore it. She remembered the scattered burst of footfalls she and Aaron had heard on Thanksgiving. The thought gave her a chill. What if whatever it was had come back? Gina stepped up the first two stairs and stopped. She peered into the darkness at the top of the stairs. Nothing but motionless shadows. Where the East Hall and West Hall both came to an end. She quietly stepped up one more stair. One more. She stopped and listened. Thong. Gina froze. She held her breath, listening intently. Thong. She looked up the staircase before her. A child's red rubber ball the size of an apple came bouncing slowly down the stairs toward her, and possibly slowly, as though in a dream. How's your head? Gina grimaced, holding a dripping ice pack against the bump on her forehead. They were sitting together on the two bottom stairs of the staircase, throbbing. I didn't think you were the fainting type. I'm not. Well, you just fell down the stairs. No, said Gina. Actually, I didn't. I'm getting scared to leave you alone when I go to class. Aaron, do you realize that red rubber ball? Come on, Gina. No more about that ball. I tell you, there is no ball. Aaron, there most definitely was a ball, and it seemed like an old ball. It must have belonged to Grandpa. Your grandfather, he said. How could it? Why would it still be here in the house after all these other owners? Where did this ball come from? It's the sound I've been hearing, that thudding sound, which explains the crash. The ball must have knocked over something upstairs, Aaron. You've got to believe me. Well then, where is this ball now? Gina groaned and clutched the ice pack to her forehead. I was in no condition to notice where the ball ended up. It has to be here somewhere. But it isn't. That's the problem, Gina. I've looked. There's no ball. There was a ball, a red rubber ball. I know it was a real Aaron because I saw it. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at the underscore poltergals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at roguemedianetwork.com. You've been listening to The Poltergals, a Rogue Media Network podcast.
This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Thank you.